Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, welcome back. So today I want to take some time to, to primarily focus on two things. And this is going to be sort of vintage uh, Silver Fortune type of podcast. And I say that because, you know, for so long I've spent a lot of time reporting on and focusing on COVID-19. And I'm not going to stop that. In fact, tomorrow I want to make one more so dedicated to COVID-19. And, and as a bit of a preview, uh, I'm, I'm really going to be focusing on, on two uh, overarching ideas that really drive home the point that this is far from over. Those two points would be a an asymmetric, a an asymmetric curve, uh, in the sense that this is going to take much much longer to go away in terms of cases and deaths than it took to arrive, and in the United States and, and around the world, uh, and, and I think to some extent the same is true for for the various uh, mitigation attempts, lockdowns and, and cancellation of events, etc. Uh, B in the United States in particular, but, but the same can be said around the world, we're going to continue to deal with sort of a staggered peaks. Staggered peaks in the sense that New York, New York City, New Jersey, they're, I don't know, peaking now, a week from now, a week and a half, I don't know exactly one that, in retrospect, we'll know, right? However, that doesn't mean every city and every state in the United States is going to peak at that same period of time, just like, you know, it, it would seem as though Italy at least hit their first peak, hopefully their only major peak, and, and they're on their way back from that in terms of cases and, and hopefully deaths as well. And and their peak certainly did not coincide with with the UK's or the United States or or China's, right? Um, same is going to be true for the United States. It's going to roll from state to state, city to city, etc. But but I'm not, I don't want to get too much more detailed into that right now because what I want to talk about is precious metals and, and why there's such a, I don't know, a logical, such a default choice for me in times such as these. I mean, look, I've, I've been doing this channel for a while. I, I started it in the latter half of 2016, this channel, because it's a YouTube channel, I guess the podcast, I, I, I started uploading to podcasts, uh, uh, platforms in um, the summer, late spring, I forget, of uh, 20... Uh, 18. That was the year, right? Um, and and some of my content from from back in the day is no longer up. Um, but but you know I do have you know hundreds of episodes still up, and kind of all along the way, and silver and gold have sort of been my default choice. Uh, but I'm going to explain why that's still the case today because honestly, not a whole lot has changed in the face of this COVID-19 driven recession and depression, which in all reality is not at all a COVID-19. Uh, I mean, in, in history books, it's going to go down as that. It's going to be the COVID recessions. But believe me, I mean, this COVID-19 is not going to stick with us nearly as long as the economic effects of this of this depression is, is going to stick with us. That's what it's going to be, I believe, a depression. I think it's going to last a very long period of time. And actually, you know, I was listening to a recent uh, Peter Schiff podcast, which, which you know, I Peter Schiff was one of my early on, one of my favorite 
only podcasters in this realm, one of the few that I listen to regularly, and I don't listen to him as much anymore. Um, but, you know, he did bring up a good point in one of his recent podcasts that, hey, when, when you have a recession, when you have potential bankruptcies at the consumer and the corporate level, um, when there's lots of debt in the system, and the government and the central bank's response is to paper over that, to give those entities, those individuals, whatever, just enough to keep them afloat, um, ultimately what you're doing, and I'm paraphrasing, is you're creating an economy that is going to have a very difficult time recovering because everybody's still just saddled with debt. I mean, all you're doing is you're creating corporate uh, zombie corporations, uh, which are corporations that barely can you know, service their own debt, um, and, and you're creating consumers that are, that are going to be kind of in the same boat, right? Uh, and I think the same is true this time around, but it's going to be even worse than before, even worse than, than the Great Recession and our uh, really lackluster and extended recovery from that. I mean, the difference this time around is, is that, well, we're 10 years into the future. So we have 10 years of extra accumulated debt. The Federal Reserve, in terms of their policy, uh, started this whole thing off at a much easier point, easier in terms of their monetary policy, uh, lower interest rates, a higher balance sheet. Um, they're still doing uh, not QE, you know, QE and, and repo market interventions um, before COVID-19 really affected the markets significantly. And really, I mean, they, have, they, they had less ammunition to, to sort of get to where they were in, in the depths of the Great Recession, you know, zero rates and, and QE, uh, they're already there, right? They're already doing QE at a much faster rate. In fact, uh, recently at a rate of 1.3 trillion in two weeks. Um, I want to say, you know, after three weeks, I think I'm doing 1.6 trillion total. I, I don't know the exact totals. Plus the massive interventions in repo markets and, and other uh, markets as well to provide liquidity. I mean, this is this is unprecedented type of stuff we're dealing with right here. This is so much worse than the Great Recession. And, and part of the reason for that is, no, not just because it's happened so fast because of the COVID-19. I mean, that's, that's a huge shock to the system. I get that. But part of the reason that it's so much worse this time around is that we never fixed any of the problems following the Great Recession. Right? Everything was papered over. Consumers, corporations, they were bailed out. Right, and in the time following, you actually saw a lot of sovereign nations bailed out. I mean, one could say that the Federal Reserve bailed out their own government by monetizing debt. But there was plenty of countries overseas and around the world that have since been bailed out, either by uh, you know, like the euro, you know, the eurozone has helped to bail out, uh, if you want to call it that, um, a lot of countries, you know, Greece and and uh, you know and others. Uh, oftentimes by, by um, helping them in the short term while also really not solving any of their debt problems and you know, oftentimes mandating austerity. The same is true for the IMF, right? Many countries that they've lent to uh, with terms. Plenty of countries have been bailed out as well in the meantime, right? I mean, this has all just been a massive bailout. But, but the, the idea of a bailout, it's, it's far different than a clean slate. I mean, bankruptcy is hardly a, a clean slate, but but in many ways, a bankruptcy of, of individuals and of corporations in 2008, 2009, 2010 would have been preferable to the alternative. I mean, think about it, your, your own 
particular financial situation. Let's say uh, we're, we're going to we're gonna make up a fictional situation for you. And it looks like this. You have X amount of income, doesn't matter how much, but that income prior to COVID-19, if we're going to go back to you know, February when, when it hadn't really affected the U.S. economy much, let's say your income is enough to make your mortgage, your car payment, um, maybe your credit card payment, whatever other type of debt payments you have, um, to pay your bills uh, and to, to buy your kind of necessities, and you have a little bit left over, but as a whole, I mean, you're kind of, you're a, you're a pretty significant debtor, and and you're barely making ends meet, right? You don't have much of a surplus, and, you know, if you, if you lose your job for a month or two, you're going to be in a tough position. Well, guess what? That's, I mean, basically the situation that millions of Americans are in right now. They've lost their job, right? Massive unemployment. Ten, almost 10 million uh, unemployment filings, new unemployment filings in the span of two weeks, right? Um, now, yes, the, the government is bailing them all out, bailing us all out, right? I'll get a check as well, you know, 1200 per adult, 500 per you know, dependent or child or whatever. Um, okay, well, I mean, essentially, and, and then there's other things too. I mean, there's unemployment filings, there's, there's um, you know, there's small business loans if you're a small business owner, and there's some other, you know, um, you know, some states, I, I forget if it's a national thing, but, but some changes as far as, you know, who can be evicted and, and, and postponing debt uh, or rent payments, etc. Um, I don't think that's really a national thing, though. But, but anyways, uh, that type of bailout is happening. But, but when it's all said and done, three months from now, and that's just a ballpark number. I don't think COVID-19 is being gone three months from now. But I think a lot of those potential essential workers could potentially be going back to work and, you know, in, within that time span. Well, they've gotten a bit of a bailout which probably did not come close to equaling their paycheck prior. Maybe some, some, it, some it met it, I don't know. Um, but it helped them maybe, maybe make ends meet. Maybe they're starting to fall behind on their credit card payment. But hey, unprecedented times, right? I'm sure you know their credit card company is going to work with them, their car company is going to work with them, or, or their bank that they that lent to them for their car loan, whatever, okay? Well, guess what? A lot of those 10 million, which is going to, by the way, go much, much higher, but 10 million individuals are going to go back to work. Their job no longer exists. Unemployment is going to stay chronically high for years. I hesitate to say it, but maybe a decade plus. Right? Again, going back to this is much worse than the Great Recession. Well, what you've created now is, is a ton of people that may be going back to work barely making ends meet, and a lot of people that are just not going to make ends meet. And so there's probably going to be more bailouts. There's going to be more relief for them. But it's never going to wipe the slate clean, right? We're not talking about a debt jubilee. Um, the, the only scenario in which we're going to have some sort of a debt jubilee is if we have hyperinflation, and then debt really doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, so, so why am I talking about all this? Why am I, I mean, that's essentially what we're heading towards, a long drawn out depression, not a recovery, not a drawn out recovery, right? The first couple months, six months might look like a recovery relative to what we're doing right now in terms of economic activity. But, but over the long term, it's going to be very drawn out depression, very drawn out high unemployment numbers, um, really lackluster GDP, really lackluster, real strong economic signals. And, and the U.S. will hardly be the only country, right? The same is going to be true for many other countries. 
And it's going to be because we haven't solved any of the systemic problems. We haven't solved any of these debt problems. We've just papered over them. We've just bailed people out. And that's just not enough. But governments are going to do that. And Federal Reserve and central banks are going to do just that. I mean, to put numbers on this, I mean, right now in 2020, uh, I think I talked about this recently, I think the fiscal year starts September 1st, but if we talk calendar year, you know, January to January, January to December, you know, the, the calendar year 2020, the deficit for the U.S. government is going to look like it's probably going to be, what, one and a half trillion, right, prior to this COVID-19. But now, I mean, think about all that, that increased cost. Is, I mean, we, we have, what, three rounds, I think, of stimulus thus far, the largest of which was like $2 trillion, right? I mean, some of these small, small business loans, I don't think even have to be paid back. There's no real recourse if people don't pay them back. And, and the timeline to pay them back is like three years, right? That's, that's a long time. Um, Decreased tax revenue because so many, you know, so much fewer people are working. You know, less capital gains taxes because the stock market is really unlikely to, to go up at all this year, right? Um, and the same is true for a lot of other investments, real estate and others. Uh, uh, you know, plenty of other, you know, welfare programs that are going to cost more this year. I mean, Medicare, I think the cost for Medicare and Medicaid because of COVID-19, right? Think of maybe, you know, other forms of, of you know, the whatever you want to call it, uh, unemployment and various other benefits that people can um, receive uh, whether or not, you know, the you know, at some point, the government or the state or cities are probably going to contribute to those types of, of bailouts of those types of welfares, right? Um, and, and, and believe me, we're only in April. I mean, there's going to be plenty more stimulus. There's going to be plenty more bailouts along the way. There's talk about cash for closures program. There's, you know, there's probably going to be another stimulus check by the end of the year. I'd be surprised. Um, we're talking trillions of dollars. And then you add on to that some of the long-term effects. I mean, guess what? When we were talking about the U.S. budget being bust, well, hey, they can borrow indefinitely. Uh, yes, they're going to inflate it away. But they're, they're probably not going to default this year. But hey, guess what? There's a lot of states, most states, that are going to be belly up this year. I mean, think of the cost to New York right now. I mean, I don't even want to just say New York. Just about every state across the country, they're, they're dealing with decreased tax revenues and increased costs. That's a recipe for fiscal disaster. What about the, the states like uh, uh, Texas? Yeah, Texas is dealing with their own health care crisis, right? They're dealing with their own decreased economic activity. But hey, guess what? This just so happens to coincide with the greatest um, downside move in the oil markets probably in history in terms of speed and scale. It's going to absolutely destroy shale oil by the end of the year unless, you know, something crazy happens. Regardless, shale oil is probably going to make a production cut and decimate their economy and their tax revenue. I mean, states now are going to need to be bailed out. How about pensions, public pensions at the state, the county, the city level? Oh, hey, guess what? Those are going to be absolutely destroyed because, you know, upwards of three quarters of their investments were in what you'd consider risky assets, stocks, private equity, commercial real estate, all just destroyed, demolished, these pension funds. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Many of them were already uh, <clears throat> in bad shape. A lot of them did not have the amount needed to, to make ends meet long term. This was a predictable event, this market crash. It wasn't predictable that happened because of the virus, but, but it was predictable. And guess what? Um, they're going to probably need a bailout as well. It's either that or a lot of people aren't going to get their pensions or just jack up taxes. But, but I think those two other options are going to be very unpopular because of just how slow this recovery will be and because it's going to be so widespread of a problem that I think the federal government is just going to bail them all out. And so now we're talking potentially $10 trillion plus trillion that's going to be added over the span of a couple of years just because of this year. So $5, 6 $7 trillion deficit this year. Next year, um, another couple trillion. Next year, another couple trillion. And on, 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 on. on. And then you have the Fed monetizing that. So, so, so I can go on and on. You guys understand where I'm going with this. Higher and higher debt that we're not going to be able to get out of at the consumer, the corporate, but finally, ultimately, the, the government level, right? And the Fed's going to have to monet- the Fed is going to have to monetize that, meaning they're going to have to buy that debt, along with a lot of other debt and other assets that they're likely going to buy in the coming months and the coming years. I'm talking corporate debt and and potentially stocks or whatever. So why do I go back to precious metals and all of this? Well, what's the alternative? So we know cash right now is probably not a bad option at all, but it's prone to inflation, right? Even if you keep it in your bank and, and they give you that measly interest rate, it's prone to inflation, highly prone to inflation. What about bonds? Well, <clears throat> with bonds, you have that same inflation risk. And depending on what type of bond, well, I mean, all bonds have it, but depending on what type of bond, you also have default risk. Now, with the U.S. government bonds, do I think the U.S. government's going to default? No. So that's not as big of a deal. But then you're just dealing with inflation risk of the underlying currency, dollars. And, I mean, U.S. 10-year bonds are trading under 1% yield right now. Inflation over the next 10 years is almost certainly going to be much, much higher than 1%. I mean, come on here. Um, I mean... Corporate bonds, then you have that default risk. Municipal bonds, you have a higher default risk. Other sovereign bonds around the world, you have a higher default risk. Right? Uh, what about stocks? Well, you know, at some point in a very highly inflationary environment, yes, stocks aren't necessarily a bad choice. They, they represent a better choice than bonds, better choice than cash. But inflation is not good for the economy. High levels of inflation are not, I mean, if 2% is bad for the economy, like you've heard me and some of the others talk about for so long, then what does 5 or 10 or 20 or 30% look like for businesses? I mean, that they're, they're not a bad option because, yes, they're probably going to be inflated along with everything else. Um, they're, they're going to reap some benefit of inflation. They're going to maybe follow it to some extent compared to bonds. But, but hey, guess what? The underlying, um, the underlying company is... is 
probably going to struggle in those types of in that type of economic situation, depending on the company, depending on the business, right? And so, I mean, we can go on and on, but but ultimately, it leads us to I mean, I, it leads me to precious metals, silver and gold. I mean, a you have no counterparty risk. B they thrive in an inflationary environment and preserving wealth, or even outpacing inflation when inflation gets bad enough. C um, we are in unique economic times almost certainly have seen and will continue to see a huge rush into physical silver and gold. That's so bad at this point where it's it's um, very difficult to get your hands on any physical silver and gold. Even by by um, like large-scale investors, I'm talking like large gold bars, 400-ounce bars, kilo bars, right? 1,000-ounce silver bars, right? Those are difficult to get your hands on for many investors. Right, and part of that's because of supply chain problems related to COVID nineteen. Part part of it's that demand has just been so stinking high. Right, um, but but eventually, I think you know those in terms of precious metals, those problems will move by the wayside um, to some extent. I think I'll I'll put it this way: Is silver and gold are they due for a reset? Yeah, I think they are. Is that reset going to happen over the next month, next couple months? I don't think so. With that being said, I think we're at the highest chance of that happening in history, probably. But but no, I don't think so. But it doesn't mean it won't have again highest chance of it happening. I still think that the odds are that it won't. But that doesn't mean that you should take your chances with it necessarily. Uh, another way of putting it would be banks right now. Um, do I think there's going to be a run on banks and banks are going to just shut down and be unable to provide cash, et cetera, um, in the next you know couple months? No, I don't think, you know, if we're talking about percentage, I think that the odds of that happening are less than 50. With that being said, the odds of it happening over the next couple months, next couple weeks even, or at the highest odds of probability that they've been in a very, very, very long time. I don't know the Great Recession, the Great Depression. I don't know when the last time the odds were this high if they've ever been this high. So if that's the case, do you keep all your cash in your bank account? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I, mean, I don't think you roll the dice on that, right? Now, with silver and gold, it's a bit of a different story in that, yeah, you can go to the bank, take your cash out. You, you can't just necessarily get your hands on silver and gold, at least at a good price. So the reason I'm saying that is for, I think, a lot of you guys, you, you guys already have a position in silver and gold. Um, I think there'll be opportunities in the future to in the coming months even, to buy silver and gold again. Now, um, obviously, I mean, buy it at a lower premium compared to, to where it's at right now. I mean, where it's at right now is is a pretty crazy high premium because there's so little available. And I mean, it's really a lot of these, uh, a lot of these dealers, they don't have a whole lot for what you consider standard, uh, standard, stock stuff. I mean, they have a lot of kind of oddball stuff that maybe some of you guys aren't into. Anyways, a month, two months from now, I think, you know, it might be better, it might not be. I don't know. Obviously, the reason, and that, that's sort of the reason we, we always tout the idea of, you know, buy beforehand, um, buy insurance on your house um, before the fire starts, right? Because you can't just throw insurance on it while it's on fire, right? The same is true for your own you know, financial feature in terms of precious metals. I mean, buy that insurance ahead of time because you never know what's going to happen. How true is that for the current 
crisis, right? So I think there'll be opportunities in the future, but I, I'm not entirely certain of that. I think there's a good chance that this could be the reset for silver and gold that we've all kind of sort of been waiting for. But believe me, just like this recession, this depression is going to be drawn out, so will these moves into precious metals markets. These are going to be very drawn out moves. In fact, you know, as crazy as it sounds in the second half, or I should say quarter two, quarter three, even quarter four of 2020, um, there's going to be a lot of just, I don't know, short-sighted, myopic, I don't know, commentators on precious metals that will say, lower economic growth is deflationary, um, you know, uh, look at all these people staying at home, uh, look at it, you know, this, it, it, that it's all deflationary, and that deflation is a reason to sell off in gold, that gold and silver should be at a lower price. It's kind of silly. I mean, technically speaking, you might see some deflation. In all reality, what you're going to see is massively inflationary policies by the Fed and, and, the, and central governments continue. But whatever, you can call it deflation now, but it's ultimately going to end in inflation. Right, so <laughs> I mean, you could have a situation where, hey, next couple months, silver and gold could maybe not go down a ton, but but really not catch the bid that some of us expect from this, you know, so-called reset. Doesn't mean that it won't happen though. Just means that there's gonna be a lot of institutional money that are that's gonna be thinking that, hey, deflation means lower silver and gold prices. Let's sell off or let's sell um, buy at a lower price. Really, a dangerous game they're playing though. I mean, some would strictly say that that in terms of inflation, what, what the Fed is doing right now is they are inflating our monetary supply. And that's all they need to know. And to some extent, I would agree. It's just a matter of when will that inflation sort of be realized in, in terms of the value of the dollar, in terms of, of the economy. And eventually, right? You pair that with, with really poor economic growth. And I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's a certainty. It's just a matter of when. Um, for all the talk of exponential growth, you know, by, of, of a virus, you know, I think we'll see an exponential, you know, decrease in the value of the dollar. I think uh, what the Fed and what the government is doing, we'll see an exponential increase in those things as well, right? Just like we've seen an exponential increase in debt over the years. So, so don't buy that deflationary environment uh, as a as a reason for silver and gold to go down. Um, but but certainly buy that dip or buy that, you know whatever you're going to call it. I don't know where the price is going to be, if it's going to be a slower move up because people aren't as afraid or if it's going to be sideways or it's downwards over the next couple months. I don't know if when this deflationary narrative potentially takes hold, um, but it's bogus. I mean, yeah, who cares though? I mean, ultimately when you're buying silver and gold, who cares about deflation over a couple months? We're, we're talking about massive inflation over many, many years. So it's going to be a long drawn out, you know, it goes back to what I've heard in the past that, you know, Russell, I think this is Russell Napier, smart guy uh, talking about silver and gold and how, hey, should we rule out the possibility that this next bull market in precious metals lasts, I think he said like 30 years, you know, an entire generation plus? No, I don't think we should rule that out, right? With bear market crashes along the way and, and just like in every bull market, you're going to have big drops along the way. But I mean, put things in that perspective, going up overall over the next 30 years. Another way to look at it would be like silver in 2000, 2001. Sitting at, I don't know, four, five bucks an ounce. I don't have a chart in front of me. 
in that ballpark. Well, by 2008, it, you know, it was up around 20, right? And then it crashed during the Great Recession. And similar story, you know, they could really get it at that high price unless you're, you're buying contracts um, or, you know, SLV or whatever. I don't even know if they had SLV back in 2008. I forget. Um, but then, you know, by 2011, up to, roughly speaking, high 40s or $50 an ounce. And that's a, that's a 10 plus fold increase from the lows. I mean, if $4 an ounce to 40, that's 10 fold and then, and then some, right? Is it going to be a similar story this time around? I mean, hey, we're, we're basically starting point from 17, you know, 10 fold is a $170 price for silver. I mean, I'm just spitting out numbers here. Um, but, but that's a real possibility. And again, I mean, silver and gold, you know, if you're comparing the two right now, I mean, do you look at the ratio for silver and gold right now? And if you think that's, that's because economic demand for silver has decreased, um, yeah, that's probably part of the reason why silver's been dragged down so much, dragged down along with the price of copper and, and with solar economic growth. But hey, guess what? Um, there's a lot of mines that are shut down right now too, silver mines. Right? Supply coming onto the market is going to be much lower. And, and that demand is going to come back to some extent, but investment demand is going to come back with a vengeance for silver. I think it's going to be pretty crazy once, once we get a full sense of that investment demand. We can't right now because there's just not enough out there for people to buy. There's just not enough physical silver for retail investors to, to buy right now to get a full sense of that demand. But it's coming eventually. Right, um, so I mean, obviously, I mean, with a ratio what north of 110 or something. I mean, long term, I mean, we're looking at a ratio under 50, probably 50 to one, under 40, under 30 to one, maybe. Right, that's a big discrepancy there. And if long term you want to be in gold, then maybe what you need to do to to build the largest gold position possible is to be in silver now. I don't know. I mean, none of this should be taken as investment advice, but that's just my perspective on it. Right. The true gold to silver ratio is probably a little bit lower in the sense that, you know, what can you actually buy the physical silver and gold at? You know, the average retail investor, like you and I, it's much lower than 110, but it's still, you know, probably north of 100, north of a 90. I don't, I don't know exact numbers, but, but anyways, you know, still, um, still very high and, and silver is probably the place to be. A little more risk, more, more volatility, um, but, but history would show that, that this is a, a spike in the gold to silver ratio that you probably want to you'd want to sell in the sense that you you want to bet on that ratio coming down. But anyways, I mean they, they're sort of the logical, as I said at the beginning, they're the logical answer for me to protect yourself. Does that mean over the next 10, 20 years you're just gonna buy the silver, buy the gold, and just stay in it until you have to sell it during during retirement or whatever? No, not necessarily at all. Silver and gold are a great wealth preservation tool. They're a great, you know, I think the whole idea of silver to the moon, gold to the moon. I mean, they're a great way to maybe build your purchasing power, not just preserve, but build it even during bull markets. However, they're not the be-all, end-all. You can think of them as using them as tools. Use them as tools to accumulate wealth in other areas. Land, real estate, stocks, those are all potential options depending on... Um, Ratios, you know, I, I, this is a sort of a trend that I wanted to start a while back. I think in late 2019, I haven't really followed through on it, obviously, because I've been busy with other stuff. But but looking at the ratio of silver and gold to various assets, whether it's the Dow to gold, Dow to silver, um, 
you know, oil to gold and silver ratio, uh, acre of land, the average, you know, house in the United States, you know, compare all of those things, price of those, those things to silver and gold and sort of set a threshold for when you want to maybe trade some gold for good stocks or some acres of land or some real estate to rent out, whatever it might be, right? Obviously, this is all with a backdrop of major economic dislocation along the way. But it doesn't mean you can't make money in those other arenas. In fact, um, you can do what so many successful investors have done over the years, and that is buy when blood is on the streets, right? When there's blood in the streets. So that's sort of the case for silver and, and to some extent for gold right now. Silver is really not a highly touted investment right now by a lot of retail, or not retail, um, um, institutional investor. I mean, look at the price, right? Um, gold's, all things considered, should be much, much higher with this backdrop, and yet it's still in the 1600 range, which sounds silly. A couple months ago, 1600 would be super positive, but, but long term, I mean, the mania is going to hit silver and gold like maybe never have before. And, and eventually, you know, that mania is going to coincide with a lot of real long-term bearishness about a lot of other assets, including land, including real estate, including stocks, I believe, businesses, etc. So that's my thoughts on the silver and gold market right now relative to uh, debt, relative to inflating the monetary supply, relative to um, a really long secular bear market, probably in stocks, eventual bear market in, in uh, uh, bonds, which is going to be massive, and, and a long-term, I think a long drawn-out depression that, that we're going to have to find a way to, to navigate. So as always, thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's pod podcast, and God bless.